Welcome to the Warrior Goddess Revolution, a podcast dedicated to helping you get free, free of shame, free of fear, free of limitations, and free to become the woman you are meant to be. Let the inner revolution begin. Here's your host, Heather Ash Amara. Welcome everyone back to Warrior Goddess Revolution. I am so excited about our conversation today. I'm here with my dear friend and what I call ink sister, Rhonda McCrimmon. We are both published through Hierophant Publishing. I was honored to get to uh, do the foreword for her new book, Drum and the Cauldron. So we're going to have an amazing conversation today. Hey, Rhonda. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, waving to you across the pond. I'm in North Carolina at my mom's house. Just arrived here and Rhonda is tuning in from Scotland. And mm-hmm. I'd love to just start with a little bit about, I don't want to start with your book just yet, but more your spiritual path. How did you step onto a spiritual path? And just a little bit of your origin story would be lovely. All right. My parents were both very spiritual people, but also very um, damaged as well. So my early childhood was one spiritual path to another. Jump, jump, jump. There was always the new big thing, the new shiny object, the new thing we all had to kind of adhere to. Um, And it was also very chaotic. So my dad was an alcoholic, uh, recovered later in life, but definitely difficult childhood. And... I ran away from spirituality so hard into the arms of Christianity in my teens because that's what I did to rebel and then realised that didn't work either and then spent some time just being fairly <laughs> secular and anti, uh, anti-spiritual or anything to do with that. Um, I then fell pregnant really young, you know, got into an abusive relationship, ended up very... Um, trapped and miserable and had to really fight my way out of that became an accountant corporate world got successful and then realized oh wait I'm still miserable I'm still really unhappy I'm still angry all the time I don't know how to do this differently there must be something I'm missing so then I started to just poke my nose back in a little bit into some kind of spiritual concepts and I tried some self-help books and then my dad died unexpectedly um, and he died never having really dealt with his demons. Dealt with quite a few, but the main ones, he, d- he just didn't manage to do that. And there was something that happened to me in that moment and I thought, what legacy do I want to leave in this world and how, you know, what descendant, what ancestor do I want to be? Like, I, ca- I don't want to die and have my child feel like I feel right now, which was just so uh, devastated and gutted because he he was diagnosed with cancer, so he knew he was going to die, but he was just so um, terrified to die and so broken that he didn't get a chance to do all the things he like he thought he was going to do, you know? Yes. Wow. So then I accidentally... <laughs> I don't know how I accidentally ended up in a shamanic class. It's probably not accidental, but I did. I ended up in a shamanic class and it was like coming home. Cliche alert. Um, I, I just, I was like, oh, 
this is this is what I've been searching for. This is what I've been looking for. So I just threw myself in wholeheartedly to that and studied for some years, three or four years with Carol Day at the Centre for Creative Vision and then also was still an accountant at the same time. So that was interesting, explaining to my colleagues my new hobby. Um, but as soon as I could I I really let go of that life and moved into creating uh, pathways for people to heal in the way that I I found in shamanism for myself took me from the darkest place to the now lightest place I find myself and hopefully as I continue to um, discover new things about myself and uh, have new experiences and live life to the best of my ability then things get lighter seems to be how it goes so far I love it and that that catalyst of your dad getting sick and dying and realizing oh wait this is limited and I don't want to not I always think of that not die with my magic inside of me Mm. And that's definitely what you've stepped into is your magic and your connection to your heritage. And, you know, I see you as such a rooted expression of Celtic shamanism because you're, you're there, number one. And yeah. I had the, the honor of getting to visit Rhonda and her family uh, when I was in Scotland last year. And it was the most delightful thing. We were like, hello. And we got to have tea together and just at your whole ecosystem of your family yeah. and your sister and your brother and the kids and and that yeah. you're rooted, you're planted there. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things we chose to do differently after my dad died was as a collective unit, as a family, we we chose to heal our wounds together. It started probably with me, I would say. And I'm gonna go off on a wee tangent, but I think it's relevant. So by realizing that I had one of the first things that I realized was I had no boundaries I know you're a fan the old I had no boundaries I had no no way to hold them I didn't understand what they were and as soon as I started putting boundaries in place everything got really dramatic people had really really real problems with it and there was quite a lot of implosion in the family and there was quite a lot of difficulty but then I held my ground and I really stuck to my guns and magic happened and now everybody's not on the same path as me, but they're all on their own paths to healing. And if I hadn't been brave and really stuck, just knew I just knew I had to stick to my guns, then the magic wouldn't have unfolded. And now, 10 years later, we have a community setting. I live with my sister and her family. Um, my oldest, I have two kids now, my oldest daughter is here too. My other sister lives with my mom. Like We have this like real lovely, cohesive family unit that simply didn't exist before somebody did the brave thing. Yes. Yes. And that place, oh, so good. Because I know so many of us struggle with boundaries. And the moment there's pushback, it's like, oh, no, I don't want to be with the discomfort. And there's chaos that's starting or there's drama that's starting. But what happens as you did, your entire life changed. And not only your life changed, your entire family system had to rearrange around you because Mm -hmm. you had that solid core and steadiness yeah Yeah. I think being I think the land that connection to through the soles of my feet and just being able to draw that up and 
for support and for the first time knowing I wasn't alone and that you can you don't need to be alone you're all there you always have it so it's always there the support that you need so true and so tell uh, tell us about the journey of your book um because it's different than it's it's more common nowadays but I love your story about how your book came uh, to be so it's I think it's probably started back before lockdown just before lockdown or as lockdown started and I found TikTok and I needed something to do I was like so bored <laughs> being at home all the time and so I found TikTok and I thought well, you know it was just something I'm quite I'm good at I'm good at listening even if it seems bonkers but I was like okay you want me to make some content for this app I'll, I'll do that but it was before it was popular it was before people were really really even online a lot you know lockdown really did change our relationship and our spiritual um trust in the online space which has been good and that's one of the silver linings anyway I think so I get on TikTok things go really well I end up getting like a couple of hundred thousand followers and and then and I mean it took a year and a half it wasn't like a quick journey these things don't just happen they look like overnight right but there's a lot of a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes so then I get this email from a random being like would you come and do this event called the gathering of the shamans online would you really like to have you and usually any emails I'd had up to then were like you pay us to come and, and I'm like no thanks but I thought you know I'll just ask the question so I replied and they was, they're like no I want, we want to pay you and I'm like oh okay great that makes a nice change so I did that and then I met Randy and and he then approached me and said after I'd done that class for them they, he said oh, I'd really love you to write a book for us and I just laughed because it wasn't in my circle of like skill set or anything I'd even thought about doing so I said yes because I just like to be brave I was like sure no problem I'll write you a book Marin who's my youngest daughter was I don't know 16 months old or something like really little breastfeed co-sleep so I basically wrote this book in the middle of the night over six months because Marin would wake up she did split she split slept so she would wake up for a few hours and she was little so she would just daddle around and do whatever so I then wrote I wrote my book in the middle of the night over about six months and it was eh, exactly right but it was quite daunting I don't like I'm much more appreciative now of the books that I do read and really enjoy what a difficult thing to do luckily Hierophant have just such a an energy of family and support and we've got you and they really helped me to like create a book that people could enjoy, which I wouldn't have been able to do on my own. So it was it was really great. Yeah. And I remember Randy calling me and being and saying, you know, I have this woman that we met on TikTok, go watch, like go first go watch her. And I was like, Dan, she's good. Your presence, your heart, your wit. Like it all came through so beautifully through TikTok. And then the, the next time we talk, he's like, she's going to write a book for us. Uh, so I was always so excited. And we talked a lot. You know, we talked over that the year that you were working on it from the idea to the to the creation. Um, mm. So congratulations, because it is it's such an epic thing to write a book, especially when you when that's not your 
in your vision, right? Well, the guides have all the, the guides have always got a plan. Just got to kind of go with the flow best yes. you can. Yeah, definitely. All right, so let's talk about we're in winter solstice, so. Mm. You know, right now we're recording the day after winter solstice. So you talk about the wheel of the year, especially connected to Celtic shamanism and the cross quarter, um, because a lot of us are familiar with the solstice and the equinox, which please talk about as well, and less familiar with the cross quarter, which are so, so important. Uh, so if you can share about that. So the wheel, the Celtic wheel of the year is um, what is shrouded in quite a lot of mystery, as is the case with most Celtic uh, traditions. So what we have is uh, an, an, an old manuscript, a medieval manuscript called the Settling of the Manor of Tara. And within that medieval story, they tell, you know, they tell the story of the, the Wheel of the Year. Um, and if you have any listeners who like links, then I can provide a link to the original story. Yeah, I'll do that. And in that, there is the, uh, the, we wouldn't call it a medicine wheel, but it's a medicine wheel of, of the British Isles. And winter solstice falls in the north of medicine wheel. And it's quite interesting when you start to unpick some of the traditions <laughs> around what we would call Celtic, which probably isn't even the right word, but we can talk about that another time. Um, you've just got this sense of like, a melting pot of lots of different ideas. So lots of people talk about Yule, but that's a it's Germanic that came down through Shetland and Orkney and is Norse-based. And it's been a part of Scottish culture, certainly for the longest, because it came north to south. And it is a huge part of what we do now for hundreds of years, but it's not Celtic. So it's just nice to know what kind of what the route is. So what we do know about the the winter solstice in Celtic shamanism is nothing <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like a lot nothing. of things yeah <laughs> yeah uh there's the idea of mistletoe as well that people like to talk about and that can be that's also a bit, of, a bit foggy but i think it's the victorians that kind of popularized that and you know the christmas tree it feels so well i don't know about you guys but it feels like such a big part of our christmas or bringing greenery into the house was popularized by victoria's husband albert because that's also germanic and he was German. So there's some of the things that are associated with winter solstice would be things more like ideas and feelings. So darkness, obviously, <laughs> and stones. So the stone of fall is associated with the north. And then you have the nine, okay, I'm going to, going to go in a bit of detail. Okay, so then you have the nine sacred elements. In, Celt in kind of the Celtic pantheon and stone is the external element that's connected to something inside the body which in this case is bones so you have stone and bone really connected to this day to the winter solstice and Morrigan as well now Morrigan is usually thought of as being connected to Samhain but she's actually connected to the north so that includes Samhain and solstice so there's just like quite a lot of things that you can glean from the information if you want to be purist about it. I I personally prefer that people do what feels right to them. 
it's like a heart-led practice, but for some reason people really love the information. So I like to share what I know. So this is, I remember watching you on YouTube, on TikTok, that you're beautifully heartfelt methodical in your research. And you're like, hey guys, this isn't actually a thing. Let's talk about it without any judgment or any, like you shouldn't be doing this, but to understand so much around shamanic practice around the world, but I think especially Celtic shamanism has been so romanticized. And there's been a lot piled on top of it that is lovely, but not necessarily factual. Yeah. 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 Fairies, you know, Victorian, they, you know, and uh, you'd mentioned earlier when we were chatting about the maiden mother crone. That's another one. (laughs) There's actually a man called um, Robert Graves who wrote a book called The White Goddess. So if anybody's interested in finding out more about things that generally are made up, if you just do a quick Google and look up that, you'll find lots of people talk about the things that um, Robert Graves brought to the Celtic pantheon that are not real. Yes. I started writing a book about the maiden mother crone and started researching and went to Robert Graves' book and started reading and I'm like, oh, shoosh. (laughs) This was made up. Okay. Yeah. And it's interesting. Yeah. Because our goddesses are like these uh, almost unknowably complex beings. And I feel like the maiden mother crone archetype somewhat reduce the Celtic goddesses to something that suits a more modern sentiment. Or in the 1940s. So I'll leave it up to your imagination to for you to think what the sentiment at that time was about women. Yeah, exactly. And and like you said, the the simplification yeah. is can be helpful in some way, but it's also dangerous because then it simplifies us down of like there's just three things you can be. Yeah. Whereas like and you also said, the goddesses like... are so complex. Mm. And it's also uh, interesting because the um, there there are often three. So Morrigan was one of three sisters, and three is a sacred number, the sacred number of Celtic spirituality or British spirituality. So it all sounds good, doesn't it? But it, then it just has this um, outcome of. So that I have two sides to the story for me personally. One side is that it worries me when I see things watering down what we actually have left, which isn't very much. And then the other side is that I do have an absolute um, absolute faith and value in people choosing what's right for them. So for me, it's more about information rather than shoulds and shouldn'ts. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. And then on the wheel, then we move to then that cross-quarter day between winter solstice and spring equinox. And is, so you, you mentioned about the British Isles and the year. Mm-hmm. So the, we have the, the north and then we shift. So we have the four quarters, north, east, south and west. And there's actually the four fire festivals, Samhain, Imolk, Bealtaine and Lunasa. But there's no mention of the solstices and equinoxes. Interesting. Right? So... 
and Stonehenge, people like to bring up Stonehenge, um, <clears throat> because in lots of places in Ireland and in Scotland, the ancient stone sites are aligned with the solstices. So people say, well, they must have. But Stonehenge in particular was Neolithic, so not in the Celtic age, thousands of years before that. And the archaeological record shows that there's actually no activity during the Celtic age, which suggests that they had abandoned that site by that point. So there isn't any real evidence that the solstices and equinoxes were celebrated, but there's hints that they might have been used as markers of time. But the four fire festivals were very much so, which is quite exciting. So you've got my favourite, which is Samhain. So I always do something pretty big for that. Celtic New Year. And it's interesting because the Celts began their days at night, at sundown, not at sunrise. So it makes sense that Samhain's New Year, right? Because it's like the into the dark and the time where you plant, plant seeds and incubate and kind of go in before Imolk, where things start to grow into the kind of um, built-in a time of May-ish, depend <laughs> depending on what dates you use, because of course there's options, there's always options, into built-in on that time of like spring, summer and lightness coming. It's just so exciting. I love that time of year and that energy of like, oh, it's also the masculine half of the year as well. And then we move around to Lunasa, which is named after the god Lu, who's often known as the sun god, but that was a mistranslation. It's actually a god of light, not of sun. There's another one. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Yes. Yeah, different. Good. So those four fire festivals are, it's, I just love getting my mind blown because when I studied Celtic slash European shamanism is what we called it. Um, there was a lot of like a lot of information that was coming out and a lot of understanding too that so much had been lost. And you know, to understand that Europe Europe seems in a way to, to I think to folks in the States, sometimes Europe seems like this like very stable old culture that doesn't change much. And there were so many conquests and so much colonization that was happening within Europe and especially Scotland and, and uh, Ireland mm -hmm. that a lot of the, the wisdom, the earth-based wisdom was lost. And so finding the pieces there, there's a, for all of us, there's a recreation that's happening. Mm -hmm. And there's also a, what was, what was seated in the land. There's also a redreaming and reconnecting both to the old texts and also to listening to the land and yeah. what is coming back. Yeah. And I think that if anybody is interested in connecting with European shamanism or Brit in my case, British sh shamanism, there's a couple of things to kind of think about. One of them is that Celtic is probably not the most appropriate word to use. I use it as a good gateway term but within the British Isles, there's quite a lot of cultural differences in, in the kind of things that people practice. So bear that in mind. Um, and then anybody who practices anything Celtic, we all use the same sources. So the Druids don't have any more information than me. And I don't have any more information than the pagans. And the pagans don't have any more information than the witches. Like we all 
we're all using the same source material because that's all there is. And we um, choose to uh, channel it in different ways. It can become an issue sometimes because I think there's a sense or an idea that some people know more than others, like maybe the Druids. Love the Druids, love Druid say, friends. Like, yeah, like maybe the Druids, exactly. Yeah. For the order of the, the Druids. Now, the Druid order, such as it stands today, was a resurrected group of English gentlemen who decided that they wanted to dress up at the weekend and play Druids. Like it was a it was a game that they played, and then it became much more serious. And the Druids do great work and they have deep connections, but they don't have any more information than anyone else. And a lot of what they do is fill the gaps with direct revelation. Nothing wrong with that. We all love direct revelation, but I just prefer to know what it is that I'm connecting with. The virtues of Celtic shamanism or or British spirituality is humility, honesty, and reverence. So to me, honesty is one of the main values that someone should be adhering to when they're teaching. And I don't always get it right, but I certainly try my best. So if you're... I really want to connect. I really want to connect with my heritage. I don't know where to go. Should it be a druid? Should it be a shaman? Should it be a... Just find somebody you like and resonate with and follow your guides, follow your gut, follow your heart, follow the land, follow the whispers, and you'll you'll get there. You'll find your way. And it might be different to someone else, but that's okay because there isn't one way because we don't have an unbroken lineage to follow. It's so beautifully stated. And for me, like find people that are flexible and humble rather than dogmatic. <laughs> so, because there is, there's a lot of ownership of like, we are the ones, we are the oldest, we have the connection. Um, and it's just not true. Everybody's piecing things together. And who has heart? That's one of, for me, like who has heart? That's where we want to go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I think I grew up in such a dogmatic environment, despite it not actually being seen as, from the outside as dogmatic that no one will ever tell me what to do again. It's that sort of thing. So I'm I've got like such a strong radar. I'm like, no, no, thank you. <laughs> oh, and that's made you who you are now in such a beautiful yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. What a gift! What a gift! All right, let's talk about the three cauldrons. So your book is about the those three energy centers and where did you get the, like, where's the inspiration for that? And how have you then made it your own? Because I know you really have. So I had the absolute blessing of meeting a lady called Sam McLaren, who is a seer, an academic, and an amazing all-round person who has dedicated her life, 30 years of her life, to uncovering British Indigenous wisdom. And she's been not only a friend, but a teacher as well. So it was Sam that brought me into the sphere of the the three cauldrons originally. And there's a cool story. So Sam worked um, with me at the UK Gathering of the Shamans one one year. That's how we met. And then I was like, I want to learn from you. And she's like, I want to learn from you. So she came along and did my online course that I had created. And then she was like, this is in three 
have you ever heard of the three cauldrons? And I was like, no. So I started to like make this correlation and started to learn about this these energy centers. And it turns out that I had already been creating pathways, a three cauldron pathway naturally by listening to the land here when all of my um, peers were teaching in fours, four directions, four winds. I was like, it's funny. My, my students all laugh at me because I'm like, I've tried really hard to do it in four and it just doesn't ever work, even before I knew about anything to do with Celtic stuff. So Sam, who you can find at pratani.uk, she's the one to go to for some deep academic stuff, if that's what you're into. She brought this to my awareness. Now, it was one of those things that really just hooked me. And I have ADHD that I absolutely now love because I work with it and it's part of me and I love it. But the hyper-focus that I, it, like, I've never experienced hyper-focus like it to, to, to journey with and be with these energy centres. So there's a poem called The Cauldron of Poesy that was, again, a medieval poem that captures a much earlier idea. I can also give you the link to that um, if you'd like your readers to be able to read it. So it's also on the, at the back of my book as well. And the idea is that these cauldrons sit within us, lower, middle, upper. The lower cauldron, I've come to realise, is the seat of self. It's what you're gifted at birth. And it should be upright and full. And it should be the thing that gives you the energy to be supported and loved by your main caregivers through your early life. And when that doesn't happen... It's that it can slosh a little bit if it's just a bit chaotic or it can tip and things can fall out, can be filled with other things. When that happens, you lose your ability to know who you are. And it's like basically like if you wanted to liken it to something more familiar, it would be like inner child work, I suppose, like that. <clears throat> then your middle cauldron, so the lower cauldron is... Cori Gorias, Gaelic, and the middle cauldron is Cori Erma, and the middle cauldron is your place of emotions. And great, you can talk. And so, <laughs> so many things I want to say at once. So, when you're born, this cauldron is tipped on its side, and you have to write it and fill it throughout your life. And to do that, you have to connect with the great joys and the deepest grief. And that means you have to be fully connected to your emotions. And hands up who, whose lower cauldron tipped and you don't really have the ability to be fully connected to your emotions. Yeah. So, yeah. yay. <laughs> so that's the kind of area. It's also the place of shadow, shadow work. The, the, all your repressed stuff, your good and your bad, that's all in there and repressed. And then you have your upper cauldron, which is Cori Soish. And that's the place of your spirituality and your connection to the divine. So the idea is that in order to connect fully, wonderfully, safely, or to be able to connect with your spiritual gifts, because many of us have those, we start at the bottom, healing, you know, begin the healing process of the lower cauldron, then the mid cauldron. And once those two are kind of quite good and aligned, then naturally this cauldron that's upside down at birth will right itself and begin to fill. But what happens is I found is that most people want to skip 
the stuff at the bottom and just jump straight to this spiritual space. So they don't do any of the lower work. And then this cauldron's unsteady. It's filled with other things. It's um, delusional and dangerous in some cases. Yeah, so the cauldron's path really works for me because it's simple. The chakras, sorry, too many ADHD <laughs> too many memory. It's not ever, I've never been able to really work with them. So I was excited about this because I'm like, three I can do. So it's simple, well laid out, and it's cyclical. So I'm up and down my cauldrons all the time. I'm like, oh, an issue, down I go. And it's kind of the issue that, you know, and it kind of, it's like a, the wheel of life almost, like running through these kind of cauldrons. And the book is about how to work with them in your own life. I love the simplicity and also the power because you can feel as you're talking of what, what it would be like to have an unbalanced cauldron and all the ways it could spill or get filled with other things or not be steady. And the, the beauty of building from the bottom up. And it's so true that so many people on a spiritual path hope, can't I just work on the third one? Can I just yeah. connect to spirit? No, you can't. No. <laughs> you can, but it doesn't go well in the long run. Yeah. 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 I love that. And it's fascinating because I don't know, after I wrote the book, Awaken Your Inner Fire, I spontaneously started doing these visualizations. And the visualizations were around three fires, your belly fire, your heart fire, and your intuitive fire. Hmm. It's almost and as then, if there's like a universal energy we're all working with. Oh exactly. Gosh. Weird, huh? Yes. <laughs> yes. And so I was tickled when I first read your book. I was like, oh, right. Yeah, that's great that there's a, there was a tapping in that happened. And, and I love you've taken it. The, the vision of the cauldron is a really beautiful one because of the, the, the tips and, and learning how to write it. And to and that it is cyclical, like you said, the that there isn't a this and this is so much around earth-based spiritual traditions. There isn't a we're gonna do the line and then we're done. No, sorry guys. <laughs> I used to think that I feel uh yeah, I used to be like, Oh, I've got it, I'm finally here. I'd have like one amazing shamanic weekend and I'd be like, oh, this is it. I'm never going back. I'm gonna be like this forever. And then a week later I'd be back. Mm. <laughs> God's life. Ah, yes. so surrender into the cycle of life and the, the natural cycles we go through was a big game changer for me. Yes. And do you continue to work with other people around? I mean, I know you take students. We'll talk about that in a second. But do you have peers and teachers that you're still working with as you deepen your practice? Or have you now really connected to earth? as your main source? So I still, um, Sam is still a great teacher in terms of um, new research academia and also the spiritual side as well and how she like really has taken it away from, she was originally um, core shamanism trained, but she's now developed something completely different and moved away deep, deep into the land. She's English, which well, is Scottish, but she lives in England and deep into the land. And the way that she's, describing and 
sharing her journey is is been really beautiful for me and really um encouraging as well so it's really nice to have somebody to talk to and connect with and learn from so that's been really nice and I'll also see um a therapist and a supervisor every week because I think that for me to hold space for so many I would like to make sure that I'm still really connected to my own journey and I don't let myself get it's so easy when you've got so many followers right on social media to get pulled out of your feet to get pulled off the ground and into the sky and I so I do work really hard to stay in the earth um I spend a lot of time outside in nature just learning from the land and listening I do that not as much as I'd like I do have a two-year-old but she also she also comes with me and keeps me really grounded. And I don't have any other teachers at the moment, but I'm always on the lookout because that's, I'm always, that's my favourite thing to do is learn, really. Mm, nice. Nice. Yeah. And I realise I, I maybe should have started here, but it's perfect. What's your definition of shamanism? And what does it mean to you? Mm. it's changed over the years and it's even changed this year I'd say and it changes quite a lot depending on what I've learned and my deepening understanding of this life uh, to me shamanism is is actually becoming more indefinable as the years go by it's almost like it takes it away from words and labels and explanations. And it's more like my feeling of being connected to the divine, essentially. God, the earth, the old gods, the way that the universe buzzes and whispers and interacts, the way that synchronicities just fall out of the sky when needed, the way that um, I just, I'm always pulled one way or the other to where I need to be through indescribable means. It's, it's, it's a very indescribable thing. But what it does for me is that it supports me. I'm never alone. I can take full responsibility for myself in this human life, but the bigger issues and the bigger things, the guides are there to support and carry I don't need to kind of worry too much about those. So to me, shamanism is absolutely life. It's how I choose to interface with this human existence. And I guess another word for it as well is animism, animist. Everything has a spirit and a soul. Everything has life and has worth and has energy and everything that was here at the beginning is here now, so they say, which I also love. You know, it's just one big melting pot of energy interacting with itself. So, yeah, words are hard, but maybe that gives a sense of it. It does. It really does. And yes, words are hard. And it, it's a challenging thing sometimes to define shamanism and that place of the knowing of the invisible connection of life and that we keep pointing towards it, but it really is an experience. That's why we need guides like you to, to help take us on the journey so that we can 
experience it rather than just think about it or label it separately. Mm. Yeah, and I think we spend a lot of time in the West in the mental realm of the four realms and that um, my shift from the mental, even though I was in the spirit, like the beginning of my journey, I was in the spiritual, I was so much in the mental that I missed out the emotional and physical altogether. Just didn't even go there. I didn't even know that was a thing. So to discover these four bodies was amazing. So it, this isn't in my current book because I couldn't fit it. It was too much information. But the, when you do work with your three cauldrons, the idea is that you work with all four bodies. So you can't think your way to a he- on a healing journey. Your mind can't do it for you. You have to surrender to the mystery. Or the feminine, I guess. The feminine, create that creative feminine mystery rather than the kind of masculine logical knowledge, which we love and need, but isn't the only thing. Yeah. 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 And it's it's for most of us, it's very out of balance. I think about it as the the warrior and the goddess. And the warrior is the I will understand, I have clarity, I'm moving forward. And the goddess is the resting into opening. Um, yes. And I work with so many people, and I was the same way, like over warrior. Like I will figure it out, which is helpful on a spiritual path in the beginning. Like, I actually think it's actually helpful to have that, like, intense, like, I will fix all of this. I will understand. And then on a good spiritual path, at some point, you'll be like, oh, shit. (laughs) I have to now surrender into the unknown and the mystery. Yeah. I can't figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it gets more and more undefinable, for sure. Mm -hmm. And yet... Quite simple as well. And I think, don't, don't you think that people have a tendency to overcomplicate things somewhat, I've noticed? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I know I'll have people say to me, like, you're doing the same grounding practice that you've done for 35 years. And I'm like, yeah, why would I? Like, it's the best grounding practice ever. Why would I do something else? Mm-hmm. And we're so like, oh, well, I've done that. I want to jump to something else. Like, I want to do the next thing. And that's beautiful. I love new things. I'm always searching as well. And there's particular practices and commitments that we can make to ourselves and to the earth and to our spiritual path that's about this, the simplicity, going back to what's simple and what works, that we don't need a lot of complication or the next new thing that actually can take us away from our path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I call it um, spiritual surfing. So you're just like, next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing. It's a nice, it's a nice way to feel like you're doing, like I've done this so many times. It's a nice way to feel like you're doing a really good job. And then you're like, oh no, I just haven't gone deep at all. And there's all this stuff in here I need to deal with. Okay. Okay. Take a deep breath and go down. Yeah. <laughs> Into the depths. Into the depths. I'll see you on the other side, hopefully. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, and that's something that you also work with is shamanism and the inner landscape. And you talked about it earlier, and I was, ooh, the bones and the stones. So the outward manifestation and then the inward manifestation. And I just really encourage my students to integ- to integrate what they know and learn into their everyday life. And it that's the thing that changes your inner landscape. <laughs> I mean, I've learned a lot from you and your books over the years as well, and I know that you know you know this very well. But um, it's it's really 
interesting to watch lots of people focus outwardly. How can I help you? What can I do for you? I, I'm going to pray for this person. I'm going to pray for this issue. I'm going to volunteer for this charity. I'm going to, I'm, these are all the things I'm going to do for my family. And so much energy goes outwards that there's very often very little left to turn inwards. And that suits, unconsciously, of course, that suits because it means you don't have to face what's in there. It's really easy. It's a really righteous way to avoid this like stuff inside your inner landscape. So the three cauldrons can be really helpful with that because it's it is this idea of like the inner the power center. So by taking all this energy that's outward focused and starting to turn it inward gently, slowly, with safety and rhythm. Doesn't all need to be done at once. But by reclaiming this outward focus, I call it the saviour, you know, it's one of the words, or the rescuer or the people pleaser, turning all of, all of that back, like reclaiming that power back to your inner landscape is probably going to be really painful <laughs> to start with. Honestly, it's really crap when you do it. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel anywhere near as good as like volunteering for the charity or support or helping your family. Um, but it, it, I think there's this real need for people to change the story and bring their energy within them. And I think if everybody on the planet concentrated on their own stuff and their own their own story and their own issues, I wonder where we would be. Very different. Because there's so much projection and people leaking their energy all over the place mm -hmm. and trying to fix and have the so same much hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, you're good. Okay. I have this uh, Facebook community um, that I started years ago and I have this rule. I'm not a big fan of rules. I have to say, but I do have a few that are like pillars and it's called I language, right? So in the Facebook group, you're not allowed to give advice, you're not allowed to comment you should or tell people what you think they should do. You're not allowed to do that. We have um, these Rottweiler uh, moderators who just, they're just in there, but you can share your own experiences and you share an I language. So you always talk about I, I experienced this. This is what I feel. This is how I dealt with a similar situation and I would say oh, I don't know 50% of the people who join the group leave pretty quickly and 95% of the men who join the group leave even faster yeah so it isn't a common thing it's not a common energy to like feel okay to just focus so much on yourself it's like almost painful and, and unfortunately so painful for some that they really do lash out and they get quite upset and vicious and that's okay we hold that in love and understanding and grace because it's a big thing and it can be difficult but this like I don't like using the word pandemic anymore or epidemic because people get a bit upset but this like epidemic of outward outward focus is really harming our culture I feel it really is and I mean, Facebook is such a, a concentrated example of it because you see it so clearly. I mean, I laugh every once in a while. I'll tell a secret that there's okay. times that I that I'm 
like sick or like I already, I, a lot of times I've like figured out what I need to do, but I'm also like, what will spark conversation more than anything? Hey, everybody, anybody have this experience that could help me? And people are like, you know, like engagement goes, uh, it's hilarious. And I'm like, why is this the thing? People are like, I have the answer. I know what it is. Here's what you need to do. And how delightful that we all want to be in service and help each other. And I love that. I always like my heart gets so open when I see that. that. And we have a very similar rule in our community, which is mm. don't fix anybody. And to live by that is really challenging because we're so, we get so outward focused and it's much easier to fix somebody else than to realize mm. one, nobody's broken. And two, what needs tending inside of ourselves? That's much scarier mm. and more vulnerable to do that yeah. inner tending. Mm. And I wonder how many people, if we asked, would say, yeah, I definitely had a successful time fixing somebody else. <laughs> not very often, right? Not very often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, not, it's not good odds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it is so transformative when we get that in our being and we really center in and do our inner work of cleaning that things rearrange around us and that I know for me there's been this also opening into oh where do I want to put my energy and that it's such a mm -hmm. choice rather than just a habit and I still catch myself of like oh wait okay come back my, my my sister and I right now have been in conversation because she's like, don't give me any advice. I don't want advice. And it's been so hard. And I'm like, oh God, I thought I'm like, I'm so good at this other places, but not with my family necessarily. Yeah, right. <laughs> Is it Ram, Ram Das that says, if you think you're enlightened, go and spend a week with your family. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's where all the habits started. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's so good. All right. What would you like to like any closing or things you'd love to share that we haven't covered? Hmm. I don't think there's anything. Oh, no, I do. I do have something. Yeah. So there was this period of time called the Enlightenment where the British Isles was stripped of all its magic and science was brought in. And why they called it the Enlightenment, I really do not know. But it's this. It was this period of <clears throat> disenchantment. Like we just lost all our magic. We lost our superstitions. We lost our belief in our imagination. We lost our belief in the land and in the spirits, and we lost our connection. Our at that time, the connection to our um, native spirituality was already tenuous. It was already like watered down and missing and suppressed and just awful things. But that really did put the final nail in the coffin. So if anybody's looking for a way to reconnect with their heritage, find the magic, find magic again, find it in your imagination. Don't relegate your imagination to your dusty childhood toy box. Like it's like one of your greatest gifts. Listen to the land where you live. Listen to the land where you live because it's connected to the land that you're from. Everything is on this planet. You don't need permission. You don't need anybody to tell you it's okay just do what's in your heart and find the magic. Thank you. One of the things that 
just brings to into my being as you're sharing is how important it is for us to understand our history. Because mm-hmm. that gives us information and guidance about how to go forward. And I think sometimes similar to as individuals, we're like, I just want the upright top cauldron to be connected to spirit. And I just want it to be easy. And I want to be done. That there's a way that we also haven't we don't want to look at the history. We don't want to look at the messiness. We don't want to look at the harm that has happened. And we want to just go forward into the prosperity and to the, the newness and the next thing. And there's a way when we understand the how magic has been stripped out, where there's been harm done, where there's been a, a choice to just go towards the logic and the mind and the science and what the cost of that was, then it allows us to start peeling back to, okay, what's underneath that? And the stability, what's always there is the land and the connection that we can create to the land. But there's a way that, um, if, if especially if we're in, in our logical mind and that's where we've lived, we have to peel through to get back to be able to actually talk and listen and be in relationship to the land. It yeah. takes time. It does. So worth it, though. Way worth it. So worth <laughs> it. So worth it. Thank you so much, Rhonda, for all of your gifts. Uh, I feel like we could keep talking forever and maybe we'll do another show sometime. I would love that. Um, and too, that would be amazing. To, yeah, looking forward to meeting you again in the United States at the Gathering of the Shamans in yeah. May. That would be wonderful. That'll and I'll put good. all the information of how you can connect with Rhonda. We'll put the information for her book as well, The Cauldron and the Drum, and the links that she mentioned during the show as well. Thanks so much, Rhonda. Many, many blessings to you and happy winter. (laughs) Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share it with a fellow warrior goddess. If you felt fully empowered and inspired by what you heard today, we want to know about it. You can share your feedback by leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We thank you for your support. It's the fastest way to fuel the revolution. To learn more about the Warrior Goddess Revolution and other Warrior Goddess offerings, visit us at www.warriorgoddess.com.